I kind of found bees sort of fascinating and had rescued a few out of swimming pools or places like that. Just always thought it'd be kind of cool to get in a bee suit and put it on and be surrounded by bees and not be able to get hurt. And, you know, that was all it really was when I started. And then if as soon as I started reading about the bees and, you know, studying books and watching videos and doing all this other stuff, I really got completely swept away in all sorts of parts of beekeeping, you know, it just became really fascinating. Forget frequently asked questions, common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Tanya Phillips. She runs the Texas Honey Bee Farm. My wife and I visited there a little over a month ago. It's a really cool place. So we're going to talk about the farm and what it does and you know, what experiences people get to have if they go there. So, Tanya, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if you would, tell me a bit about your background. How did you first get into the idea of keeping bees? Well, I don't suppose keeping bees had anything to do with the background, other than I kind of found bees sort of fascinating and had rescued a few out of, you know, swimming pools or places like that. And just always thought it'd be kind of cool to get in a bee suit and put it on and be surrounded by bees and not be able to get hurt. And, you know, that was all it really was when I started. And then now if as soon as I started reading about the bees and, you know, studying books and watching videos and doing all this other stuff, I really got completely swept away in all sorts of parts of beekeeping, you know, it just became really fascinating. How did you start out? You you said you rescued bees? Like, did you rescue a whole hive or Individual. Oh, no. I, I mean, I was just rescuing like one bee drowning or something, you know, or a few bees drowning in a pool. Now, when I started, I just, I ordered, just like a, any beekeeper would start, I just ordered some bees and I was waiting for them to come in and I ordered three colonies. They say it's better to start with two or three colonies rather than just one. So I ordered three to start with and took a class and made my husband go and he got interested too so then he ended up buying a couple of colonies so we were kind of starting right out with five. Oh well wow. so you you what it's a good idea to get multiple colonies in the beginning in case you inadvertently kill one colony or what's the reason? Yeah I mean bees are a little bit different than you know they're not really a pet and yet they're not completely wild either so you you can't you can provide the perfect place for them to live, at least, you know, what we're told is perfect for them, right? And you can give it to them and put them in there. <clears throat> but the bees are still ultimately going to be making the decision on whether they stay or not, because there's an open door and anytime they want, they can leave. Or, yeah, something bad could happen and they could die. You know, they could go browse on flowers that had been poisoned by something, or they could you know, catch a disease or they could already have a disease when you bought them, you know, or, or you could kill their queen, you know. So there's lots of ways that we as beekeepers can accidentally kill our bees or, you know, things that they can get into and die. So you can only get, you can only buy your bees in the spring. 
So if you just started with one colony and then they died a few months later, you'd have to wait another year, you know, to get to get started again. So that's why. The oh, work. okay. What? Well, yeah. When can um, if someone wants to get into beekeeping, what time of year should they get their first colonies? Why? You can you can only get the bees in the spring and early summer, pretty much. You know, I mean, unless you're buying them maybe from you're buying an existing colony that somebody else already has that they just happen to be selling. But typically the bee breeders are only breeding their queens. Well, I mean, it's just in order to breed queens, you got to have drones and bee colonies only make drones when the weather's really nice and when there's plenty of forage. So that around here happens to be spring. We get a little bit of it in the fall, but it, it tends to pretty much be spring. So all the queens are raised in the spring. So that's when everybody who is going to sell bees, splits their existing colonies into multiple colonies, gives them those new queens, and then puts them up for sale. So, How do beekeepers have multiple queens? I mean, do they only come about after you separate the hives and then a new queen will, will you know, I guess, yeah, let's get what they call I, it. What is the uh, type of bee that turns into a queen? Sure. So inside of a hive, you have you have males and females. Every female in the hive as it's born, has queen potential. So the difference between a male and a female is they, they all still just are coming from the queen at that moment. But the queen, when she lays an egg, well, first, she the, the worker bees build the cell size. And based on cell size, the queen measures the cell size. And she knows that the workers are telling her to put a boy or a girl in. If it's smaller, it's it's to put a girl. And if it's larger, it's to put a boy. So in order to do that, she has the potential just from her own eggs to just lay an egg and it will become a boy. The boys are called drones. If she lays an egg and fertilizes it with drone sperm that she's carrying around in her in her organ called the spermatheca, if she fertilizes it, that's what makes it become a female. Any female as long as it's decided within about the first six days of their birth, could become a queen. The difference is at about the sixth day after they're born, the colony starts feeding them regular bee food, which would be pollen. They call it bee bread, but it's pollen mixed with some honey, maybe enzymes, and a worker jelly. That is what differentiates it. Once they start feeding them that, the development changes or stays, maybe it stunts it. You know, I don't know that they've actually got it all figured out, but that makes them a worker bee. If starting from the first three days, they're an egg, so they can't eat yet. But as soon as they become a larva on day four, if, if from day four on all that bee, that female bee is fed is royal jelly, then they will all become queens. So you can actually put queen cells in a that are that are manufactured by by me the beekeepers say or manufactured by somebody that i buy them from if you put a bunch of those with a little tiny larva that you graft into it into a colony that doesn't have a queen they'll turn them all into queens for you and that's how queen breeders raise their queen the, the okay, shape, I guess. So, their you... cell their sh- the shape of their cell dictates what they get fed so when they oh really sudden, I yeah all, uh, I thought they're all hexagonal what what's the difference uh queen the queen's cells are different they 
they start in that hexagonal area, or a lot of times they'll build them around edges and stuff, but then they kind of poke out and then they go down. So when a queen is raised, she's facing head down. When the rest of the bees are raised, they're facing head up because they got to chew their way out. So hers looks like a little tiny peanut cell, like a peanut shell, sorry, hanging off the edge of a frame. There's... So how, how different, again, the, so the cell is like what, more rounded than more hexagonal and smaller for the females? Well, the, the males and the females are almost the same. They're just larger or smaller. Now, the queen looks completely different. It's like, it's like as if you took a peanut, the whole shell of a peanut, and kind of attached it out in front of the hexagonal cells. They don't use their hexagonal cell at all. They build a whole new thing, and it sticks out and down. It's, in, it's really big. So the, um, okay, I thought it was only X number of days after the, uh, the females are born that they then go the way of the queens. But you're saying it all starts with the shape of the the cell that the queens are going to be in. So they know right. that, and I guess that's what causes them to feed the royal jelly and the right stuff, and then it turns into a queen. So it starts with the structure? Well, it does it. I'm trying to raise. So if the bees are trying to do it, then they could just take a normal cell that's that a, that had a egg laid in it and now it has a little larva in it who's been being fed some royal jelly they could just take that cell and they extend it towards themselves and then straight down create the new space for the new queen to go and then they just start hyper feeding her before we continue i've been personally funding the finding genius podcast for four and a half years now which has led to 2700 plus interviews of clinicians researchers scientists ceos and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. Royal Jelly, and she becomes a lot bigger. She goes in head down, and she'll become a queen. So they're raising her out of a regular cell, just, just like any other bee. But when I'm trying to raise queens, I can either make fake queen cells and then pick up with a little itty-bitty teeny-weeny spoon... <laughs> You pick up a larva and put it in the very bottom of it, and then you can do a whole row of those on a, on a little bar, and then you put that whole bar inside of your hive. It might have 10 or 20 or 30 different queen cells on it, and you can put that down inside of a hive, and they'll start feeding each one of those little cells because they automatically see it was turned into a queen cell already. They'll automatically start feeding it only royal jelly, which is going to make them all turn into cool. queen. Yeah. So how did you figure this out? How to do this? And can you reliably produce as many queens? As <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that I'm really great at it. Uh, sometimes I do it and it seems like everything works well. I learned it, you know, from books and watching videos. You know, it's nothing new for me. Um, there's plenty of uh, teachers out there teaching about it. But um, sometimes I've been really successful. You know, I'll put in a bar of of 30 queen cells and come back and they'll make, you know, 20 or more of them into queens for me. And other times I've done it and only gotten one or two out of, out of a bar of 30 to 40. So, you know, there's just different things that affect it. There's a lot into raising queens that, 
you know, it's going to, it will probably take me years more of experience to figure out, but we usually leave queen breeding up to the, the specialty breeders and there aren't very many of them around here in Texas. So, Well, you know, do you consult with some expert, you know, queen breeders to see uh, how you can improve your stats? Have you been able to identify why it happens and why it doesn't? Yeah, I have talked with a couple of different people about it. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the preparation that you do before you even try to build the queen. So, you know, you have to have, they have these, you know, they use all this terminology that probably doesn't make sense to people, but they have a, a starter colony and you have a finisher colony and those colonies need to be being fed a lot of extra food. They need to be packed, you know, jam packed full of bees. Um, so there's some circumstances, you know, when a colony in, in real life out, out, on your farm or whatever is jam-packed full of bees, they start going into sort of thinking about, ooh, maybe we should make a queen and we should split. That's called swarm. And so their natural tendency when they're overcrowded is to think about sending half the bees out to go live somewhere else. So you got to kind of create the, the circumstances in a forced situation and and hopefully not overdo it, you know, and you got to feed them enough so there's just a lot of, you know, it's mostly that. And then grafting itself, you know, it's, it's really difficult to, it's a, it's quick. You have to be very, very fast. And so I'm not as fast as I, as I need to be, I'm sure. And I get faster as I go along, you know, but you're basically using this little itty bitty tiny tool and you're putting on magnifying glasses and you're getting really bright lights because you're trying to get these larvas that have just finished being eggs and just become larva. They're only one day into their their instar period. And so they're teeny, you know, you're grafting something you really can't even see. And then you're picking it up and then trying to put it into something else and, and get it down into the very bottom and then release it and let it go and have it stay there. So sometimes when I'm doing it, you know, I can see that I've, maybe I've, you know, punctured the little larva or, you know, half the time, or, or maybe I think I got it and I didn't even get it, you know? So it's really hard. And you're trying to do it really fast before they dry out. They need to be kept. Very delicate work. Yeah. So it's very delicate. They have to have a certain temperature. So it's more of a, it's not so much like, oh, I'm really totally doing something wrong as I just need more experience at it, you know? And then but I am also... a jeweler, I guess. Some people like that fine up close work and some people don't. <laughs> yeah, I like doing it, but you know, it's, and it also, you know, it's, you're going to try to do say 30 or 40 or 50 of them, hoping you'll get a few. And then I'm always like, what if I get a whole bunch? And then, oh my God, then I have all these queens and now I need to, you know, you have to still, even once you successfully get them to generate a queen out of some little larva that you transplanted, you know, and then 14 days later or or less 13, 12, actually 12 to 13 days later, it's going to become a queen. Then you have to get that into a queenless colony. And then she has to go out and get mated before she becomes really valuable to you. So there's a lot yeah, of, how, things, you know. how long can a colony be without a queen? If they were really big to start with, then they've got some time. If they were really small and didn't have many bees left, you know, bees are dying every day. So you know, pretty soon they'll be so small that they can't recover from it. But um, the greater chance is after about, you know, you, you're pretty safe with a couple of weeks. You're pretty safe because it takes 
16 days from the day an egg is laid to for it to be born as a queen. So, you know, you've got two to three weeks to play with probably, but anything much beyond that, the problem that will happen is without a queen in there, there's no queen pheromone to inhibit the ovaries of the rest of the workers. And so there's a certain percentage of worker bees that even though they were never queens, they've never been mated or anything like that, they'll start laying eggs. But all of their eggs are going to turn into drones because they're not mated. There's no sperm in there. So once that starts happening, it's very difficult to fix. And you'll end up losing okay. the colony. It's called a drone laying worker and you end up losing the colony for that. So, yeah. So how do you introduce the queen in the right way? And how do you make sure that she mates and, and you know becomes a part of that colony? The way I do it is I take and I create little nukes. So maybe just take two frames of bees and a frame of food and then a couple empty frames and put them into a nuke box, which is a is called a nucleus or a small colony. So it's not a whole lot of bees. And then I take, well, I would prefer to before the queen hatches when she's still a larva. I mean, when she's a, a big queen cell, like so maybe two days before she's going to hatch. I take that queen cell and stick it inside that colony that doesn't have a queen. And they see that queen cell and they're like, oh, wow, cool. Look, we have a queen. Let's let's finish her up. And they'll pay attention to her. And as soon as she's born, they continue feeding her and she becomes attached to them and they're attached to her and they start working together. And after about, I think it's about five days or so, she'll go out on mating flights and come back to that same colony. And eventually what I'm doing is I'm checking the colony for egg laying. So I can usually, I can see the difference between a virgin queen, one, you know, a queen who was just born versus a queen who's been out and gotten mated. Her abdomen definitely changes. And so it's just a watching game. You know, not everyone's successful, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, how do colonies lose queens? And then, uh, you know, will this method help restore it to an existing colony? Well, I mean, generally speaking, there isn't a reason for them to lose a queen. Because we're beekeepers and we're opening the hive and we're checking on them, sometimes it can be our fault that they lose a queen. Maybe we get the colony upset. Maybe we accidentally injure the queen in an inspection. Other than that, typically the only reason why a queen would leave a colony, because if the colony's dying from something, she's usually the last one to die because they're taking care of her. But if the colony, like I said, is getting really big and they're feeling the need to swarm, then they'll send the queen out, the old queen. She'll leave with half of the bees and go try to start a new colony. And the ones that are left will take some of her her larvas and turn them into queens. And two or three of those queens will probably make it through the gestation period and they'll be born. But the first one born usually goes in and kills the rest of them. And she takes over and becomes the new queen. Now she still has to get mated. And how does the mating happen? Can you help that? Or what's needed to do that? You just need to have tons of drones. So you don't even want to start making queens until you see that you're in a place where all of your colonies are making drones on purpose. So every spring, drones don't help the colony they're born in at all. Because those are their sisters and their mother. But... Uh. The mother, because a drone is born only from its mother, that means that's 100% her genetics are inside that drone. And he, he's a haploid, so he only has 
half of a strand of DNA. He doesn't have, or whatever, one strand of DNA. He doesn't have two. The diploids have two, and he's only a haploid. So by her making boys on purpose, those boys grow up, and they go out and look for queens to mate with. And when that happens, she's basically spreading out her genetics. So it's the way that they, I guess, survival of the fittest, the queens that are fit enough to lay drones, send out their genetic material into the world to find queens and mate with them. Once a drone mates, he dies. The school, the oh, queen, really? yeah, the queens have a have an organ that stores up sperm, so they'll mate with as many drones as they can in about three different days of flying. That will give them enough sperm to last their lifetime, which can be three to five years. Hmm. Okay, so you so you sell queens. Uh, do you produce honey yourself? Or do you get it? Oh, I don't. Like, I don't sell queens. Just to be clear, <laughs> I don't want to. Oh, okay, okay. You're queens. just making it for yourself. I just, if I'm raising them, I'm just trying to raise them for myself. Yeah, just to help off some of my colonies. I usually oh. buy my queens just like anybody else does. But sometimes, oh, how come you don't uh, make your own? Why do you buy them? Uh just because it's it's very time consuming. <laughs> you know, and like I said, you gotta you gotta get everything right. You gotta have a lot of drones flying. You know, I'm not a breeder. That's a big deal to to be a breeder. But just to make a few for yourself isn't that big a deal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when I was there, we looked at, you had like some honeycombs that bees had built and you mentioned something called bee space because I noticed that two of the honeycombs were like not adjacent to each other, but close. So can you talk about bee space? Because I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So I guess, well, I'm not sure who originally discovered bee space for us Americans. It came from Lorraine Langstroth, for whom the the square hives are named after here. And what happened was he was experimenting with where to put the frames and how far apart to put frames inside of a hive. He, you know, they did several experiments, like what, how many, you know, whatever gallons, whatever you want to call it, how many gallons of space are needed for a colony? Because, you know, bees were growing in trees. So they started cutting down trees and measuring the amount of space and trying to come up with the ideal amount. So at some point they came up with you know, the size of a deep box and then started taking frames. And when they, they noticed that when they put the frames too close together, the bees made them all stick to each other. So you couldn't move the frames if you did that. They just basically glued all the frames to each other. And if you put them too far apart, the bees would build not only on the frames, but in between the frames and they would mess it up that way. And so he just kept adjusting it a little bit each direction until he figured out that the bees like it at a certain space. And when he figured that out, he realized that if he were to put the frames in a hive all the same distance apart, and I, you know, I'm terrible at, at numbers, but it's like three-eighths of an inch or something, but it's the height of two bees. So bees want to be able to cover all the space and they want to be able to protect it from intruders. So if one bee is walking on one side of one frame and another bee's walking on the other side of another frame and those two frames are next to each other, their backs will just barely rub against each other as they pass while they're, you know, kind of doing their guard duty and walking around and inspecting. And if you have that exact space, the bees will only build on the frame and not in between the frames. And you can pick up the frames and pull them out and inspect them. You can trade places with them. You can use frames in other hives. So it totally took beekeeping and turned it into something that became 
mass scale and something that people could help one another with, or you could just help other colonies within your own yard, you know, because now suddenly you can pull the frames out, you can inspect both sides, you can change their order in the hive, and you can move them from colony to colony. So it really opened up beekeeping and made it much more, much easier for, you know, lots of people to duplicate. Okay. So what else happens at your farm for people that are local in uh, Austin? They want to come and see it. Um, When can they come and do you have classes and what kind of activities do you have there for people? Sure. Well, we're open four days a week from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And we do classes in the spring and in the fall. The classes are oriented towards mostly towards people who want to become beekeepers. And the 101 classes is more classroom instruction. And there's a time when they go out. We have an, a bee observation deck that's screened in so people can go out in the screened in area and they don't have to put on a bee suit, but the beekeeper that's teaching the class will go outside with the bees and then bring the frames up to the, just the other side of the screen. So they can get an up close and personal look into a beehive without actually having to get their bee suit on and get all hot and sweaty. In the, in the second class we teach, it's got some in-classroom instruction, but then the beekeepers go outside with other beekeepers, with master beekeepers, and they open up the hives and they inspect a hive and they manipulate the frame so that you know each person is becoming a beekeeper for themselves and learning how to do it hands-on. In the store, we have honey tasting and we do year pretty much year round we can do what we call our on the spot tours um that doesn't involve opening a beehive but uh we have another couple of different tours we do where again people can be in the bee deck and you can have you can reserve it for a group of people and then we have a beekeeper come in and meet them and the beekeeper does the same thing and just kind of introduces them into what's in a hive and how the bee colony works together and shows them all of that stuff without them putting on a bee suit, which is great for kids and stuff. And then we also do a the bee experience for those crazy people like me that just want to see what it's like to put on a bee suit and actually go out with the bees. And usually those only have like, you know, I think we can probably do up to eight people, but usually it's like four people. And uh, they get to put on a bee suit and go out with a beekeeper and get talked through a hive. They're not having to go to work or anything, just just going out to enjoy it and take pictures. It's really cool. Yeah, and I have ducks and chickens. A lot of people like to come out. And right now there's like a crazy egg thing going on. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't like eggs, but apparently everybody's coming here to buy eggs right now, but I don't have that many, by the way. <laughs> but people come out. Maybe you should tell people you have bee eggs. <laughs> so they'd probably be pretty disappointed though. Yeah. They're hard to find. Yeah, so that you had a store, you had a selection of different honeys, which you know, we did a tasting, which was very different, interesting. So we saw that. That's that looks like it's available. People can buy from you local honeys. And I sell beekeeping equipment for people getting started and we sell this year we're selling packages to help new beekeepers get started. That's that's just like a way that you sell bees. Um, oh, so you, so somebody comes to your store and they want to, uh, they want to start getting bees. You have all the materials where they can get started. Yeah. We sell the beehives and, and the, you know, the boxes and, and the bees. And then we even do people, a lot of people are getting ag exemption 
they're getting ag valuation on their property lowered because they do beekeeping as their agricultural activity instead of like doing cows. And so those people may not be beekeepers yet, so they may need some help. So we offer services in helping people set up their farm in beekeeping and take care of the bees for them. Yeah. Why did people come to you um, for bee equipment? Like what are some of the main things that people do that you see hobbyists? Well, I mean, mostly people want to, you know, like it helps and you can buy everything you want online, but you don't really have somebody to talk to or you don't get to see it in action. And so a lot of people stop by here so that they can sign up for a class and and uh, or get a beekeeping book or and then get some advice on, you know, what they actually need. A lot of times what I've noticed anyways is like starter kits online and stuff tend to have a lot of extra things in them that you really don't need. It's sort of like filler junk. And then I know that some of that junk can actually get you in trouble. And, you know, especially when you don't have somebody telling you how to use it. Queen excluders are can be very dangerous if not used correctly and at the right time. You know, people put mouse guards on their hives and we don't really have mice problems here. People buy all sorts of chemicals to put on the bees to treat them and they don't really understand what they're looking for or doing. So it's kind of more about just, you know, I think, you know, you can buy a lot of stuff, but what do you really need? And that's kind of how I want to help people is just get what you really need right now. And I'm close by. You can come back or you can call and ask me a question. Or, and it makes sense. Well, I mean, not why people buy from you specifically, but um, why do people get into, do people get into beekeeping? Do they think it'll just be cool to have a hive? Do they want to produce certain honey? Like, what are the reasons why oh, people yeah. are interested in bees that you see? What I'm seeing a lot of right now, if it's not for ag, you know, if it's just people wanting to do one or two hives or something, it tends to be a lot of people are really kind of getting curious about what it would be like to be fully sustainable you know, as a farm, they might be getting a goat and using the milk and getting bees to use the honey for their sugar source or to help teach their kids some things in a homeschooling or something, you know, and they, so they're, they, you know, they have their garden and they do rainwater collection and that kind of stuff. So we get that type of, of clients in. And then I also see people that are kind of just along the environmentalist point of view where, they know that, you know, bees are having a hard time out there and and people are having a hard time, you know, with their gardens growing and keeping things pollinated and all that. So they kind of want to just do it to be helpful, not only to their own garden, but just helpful to the planet in general. I see. Um, well, very good. Uh, so what's the bait? What, you know, what is the best way for people to get in contact? Like, what's your website? You know, how can they find you and learn more? Sure. Our website's Texas Honey Bee Farm. Dot com, And that's the easiest way. And if you go there, there's a phone number for the store and our emails on there. Same thing. At, go at Texas Honeybee Farm at gmail.com or we have store at Texas Honeybee Farm.com. Okay. And oh, for the end, we'll rearrange this because this is not the last question, but you know, <laughs> we'll leave the exit. I just have one more question. Um, what are, what do you see the, are the top misconceptions the public has about bees, about keeping them, about their survival, et cetera? Sure. One of the big misconceptions people have is that bees want to sting you. And, you know, bees die when they sting you. It's only the female, the females, the worker bees that have the stinger. And, and you see that those are the only bees you see out and about. 
not going to see a queen normally anyways. <laughs> you shouldn't see a queen anywhere outside the hive, nor, nor do people see drones just because there's not very many of them. So all you're seeing is worker bees. And if they are at your house for any reason and there's no beehive at your house, then the only thing they're doing there is looking for food. They may be at a hummingbird feeder. They may be as your chicken food or something like that, but they're just looking for food. They're looking for either nectar or protein and or water, I guess. And so, you know, the best ways to help them, you don't really want to put out sugar, water for bees, kind of starts a feeding frenzy, but uh, planting flowers for bees is helpful. But yeah, not to be afraid of bees. If you don't swat them or hurt them, they don't have any reason to hurt you unless you're messing with their beehive, their house itself, you know. Then, yeah, bees are going to more. Yeah, the bees observe the Texas stand-your-ground law, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, if somebody, you know, ripped the, the lid off to your house, you'd probably want to attack, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, very good, Tanya. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a really good call. And it's really cool what you're doing. I, you know, my wife and I had a great experience there. So I encourage any listeners that are local to you uh, to either go to the website or visit. So thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Pandering. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. I'm fish, but I don't know.